You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. For the last two weeks, we've looked at how the story of the Bible tells the story of God's generous character. It all begins in the garden, doesn't it? And we hear again and again, God gave, and God gave, and God gave. God gave life to the human beings he had formed out of the dust of the ground. And he gave them a garden, and he gave them trees, and he gave them fruit more than they could imagine, more than we can imagine. And he gave them authority, didn't he? Authority over the whole world. And they responded to that how? They responded to it with greed. What you've given us isn't enough. We want this, too. He gave Abraham a son, a family, and the promise of land for that family to live. He gave the Hebrew people freedom from captivity, didn't he? He gave them the honor of being his people, the privilege of being his representatives out of all the nations in the world. He gave them himself. And we've noted how the story of the Bible is a story all the way through from beginning to end of a God who gives. Today we come to the chapter in that story where we see God's self-giving love magnified in ways no one ever imagined before, magnified in the person of Jesus. That's how Paul frames it in 2 Corinthians 8. He frames the arrival of Jesus, Bethlehem, the manger, his childhood, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Paul frames all of that, the whole Jesus story, in terms of an expression of God's generosity. Jesus is God's self-giving love in human form. And he's the answer to all of the problems that arose earlier in the story. When Adam and Eve responded greedily to God's generosity, damaged their relationship with God and brought death into the world, God promised that one of her grandchildren, great-great-great-great-grandchildren would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, the Messiah, is the one. God promised Abraham he would give him that family. Jesus is the one who brings all the nations of the earth into Abraham's family. God set Israel free from captivity in Egypt anticipating the day Jesus would set all of us free from captivity to sin. Jesus is the yes to all the promises of God. Jesus is the one who takes the big picture, the cosmic picture, the story of the eternal God who speaks and makes things that we've not yet seen and puts a face 
on that God as an expression of his self-giving love, his perfect generosity. Paul wants us to see that he does that so that he can work a transformation in us. That's what he wants the Corinthians to discover. It's what he wants us to discover. He wants us to discover that Jesus reveals the character of God so that we can embody the generosity of God. That's the bottom line for Paul. Jesus reveals the character of God and all its beauty so that we can embody the generosity of God. Now to understand how Paul gets there, we've got to understand the context. What's going on behind the scenes in Corinth? We've got the letter, but what's this generous undertaking? What are the circumstances? Who are the Macedonians? Why are they involved? For Paul, he lives in a world marked by constant ethnic tension. Jewish people and Gentile people, they don't get along. It's massive conflict along these racial lines. And Paul wants the church to be the sort of place that creates unity where there's division in the ancient world. He understands that God promised Abraham that he would bless the nations through Abraham's family. He understands that Jesus is the one through whom that promise gets kept. And now that Jesus has come, the gospel's gone to the nations, and the nations get brought into God's family, Abraham's family. And all the promises are yes. So as a symbol of that new reality, Paul says, let's take a collection. Let's go over to Turkey and Greece, and let's travel around and, and get the Gentile churches to take a collection, and we'll send it back to Jerusalem where the church is struggling and suffering, and that'll be a symbol to the world that Jesus brings peace and reconciliation where everyone else can only find strife and division. That's what Paul means when he talks about this generous undertaking. And he mentions the Macedonians, the Philippians. You might want to spend some time this week reading Philippi to get a sense for what they've been up to. He says they, in their poverty, have gotten really excited about this ministry. They gave according to their means, they gave beyond their means, it's Paul's way of saying they made sacrifices so that they could be a part of doing this thing that Jesus wants to do, reconciliation between the nations. So Paul goes around, and he takes up this collection as this expression of solidarity. But he says to the Corinthians, he says, look, this isn't a command. I want to test the genuineness of your love. I just, I don't want to come in as an apostle and kind of do a top-down kind of thing. I don't want to come in and just tell you that you have to do it. I want you to do it because you want to do it. I want you to Give to the mission, to the collection, because your hearts are generous. He's like, he's, the thing he doesn't want from them is for them to feel like their arms are being twisted. He doesn't want them to feel like they're being manipulated. And so what does he do? He says, just look at Jesus. 
There's no con game, not pulling a fast one. I don't have any trinkets for you like the guys on TV. I just want you to look at the cross. And if in the cross of Jesus Christ you can see the generosity of God, then maybe, just maybe, He can reproduce that generosity in you. Take a listen to what He says one more time. Chapter 8, verse 8, Paul says, back up to verse 7. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you. So we want you to excel in this generous undertaking. That's what he's talking about. We're talking about generosity. And he's talking about their finances. He's talking about the offering plate. He wants them to be a part of this, this mission that all the churches from Philippi to Corinth, all over that area, are involved in. He says, but here's the thing. It's not a command, verse 8. I don't say this is a command. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Paul's saying, look, if, you want, if you're thinking you're going to give begrudgingly, here comes Paul again. He's asking for us to be a part of the collection again. Got the offering plate passing around again. It's like every time Paul shows up, he's asking for us to be a part of the money and you know, just give him something so he'll be quiet. <laughs> That's not what he's after, is it? Because it's not a command. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. It's like Paul is saying, look, if you're bringing your card with your commitment or you're pulling out your checkbook, or you're getting on the website and doing the online giving, he's like, look, if your attitude is, not, is, is this one of regret and begrudging, Paul says, just keep it to yourself. Keep your pledge to me. He says, what I want to see is the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ embodied in your body, your life. So he says, I'm testing the genuineness of your love against the eagerness of others. Verse 9, for you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, what is the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says, though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. And what's he talking about? I mean, he's talking about the one who is eternally of one substance with the Father. Forever and ever and ever, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. One being, three persons, right? Confirmation class, remember that? Everybody's paying attention. We spent a lot of time talking about the persons and the being of God. Paul says, look, that's, these are the categories. The Godhead, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons have existed forever in perfect, abundant, self-sustaining, self-sufficiency. God doesn't need anything. He has everything. There's no wealth that he needs that he can't get his hands on. There's no wealth that exists that he didn't create. It's all his. Think of the wealthiest kings in the history of the world. They have nothing that they did not receive. God has nothing that he did not make. Everything of value, everything made, comes from his hand. He needs nothing. He is 
wealthy, Paul says, more than anyone could imagine. Enthroned on heaven's throne, attended by angels, surrounded by beauty, and his own beauty exceeds all created beauty. Paul says that one, right? Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. He stepped down from the throne of heaven and was laid in a feeding trough that was borrowed from somebody in a backwater little town called Bethlehem. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. From the wealth of the eternal throne of God to a borrowed feeding trough. And he did it his whole life. Human life with all the joys and all the tears all the way to the cross where his arms were stretched and his hands were pierced and his body was broken and his blood was shed. Paul says, though he was rich, he became poor and he did it for your sake. Verse 9, so that by his poverty, the incarnation, his self-giving love, you might become rich. Remember, Paul's no prosperity preacher. <laughs> he suffered greatly for his mission. He's not saying, throw a little bit in the collection for Jerusalem and you'll wind up with a, you know, the newest model of chariot from the dealership downtown. You'll be rich because Jesus shares himself with you. And Jesus is more valuable than everything you have. Home, cars, entertainment, retirement, all of it. Jesus is more. And he gives himself generously. Stunning if you stop to think about it. I mean, he doesn't need us. Everything he's given us, we've just thrown it in his face and said it's not good enough. From Eden and that tree to Egypt, here's all the freedom you could imagine. Well, where's the good food? We had better food in slavery. Time after time after time, God shows generosity to people and we throw it in his face. And yet, 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 he never stops. He never gives up. He could take all of his abundance. He could take all of his eternal self-sustaining wealth. He could take it all and keep it for himself and just say, you know what? Enough's enough. I've given you everything and you've thrown it in my face. I'm done with it. He never does that. He never does it. Because he loves us. 
That's the only reason. It's in his character. It's who he is to be self-giving love. And so Paul says, I'm not commanding you. I just want to see the genuineness of your love. I want to know if you are going to embody the self-giving love of the Lord Jesus Christ. No gimmicks. No trinkets. No threats. Just love. You've seen Jesus. You know who he is. You know what he's done. The question is, does it change you? Jesus reveals the character of God so that we can embody the generosity of God. He won't force it. He invites it. It's interesting to me that Paul reminds them that generosity is far more than their finances. He says, I really want you to excel at everything. I want you to excel in speech, knowledge, in love, in eagerness. Every time I read that, I think, you know, what, is, it's, what does it mean to excel in generosity in speech like the way that I use my tongue and lips vocal cords does that embody the generosity of Jesus eagerness am I eager to be a part of the mission of God to our neighbors and the nations is my eagerness abundant with generosity says generosity is not just a category for what you do with the resources God has given you. It's a category for life. Am I generous with my time to my children, my spouse? Or when I get home, is it, ah, leave me alone, I'm tired. What is a life of generosity? And if Jesus can produce that in us, <laughs> we don't have to worry about the budget at the church. It's secondary. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ, who embodies the generosity of God, reveals God's character, when he brings together a people, and when he does his transforming work in that people, There's enough. And the generosity that you reproduce is in all of life. Shows up in the mission of the church. So, we're getting ready, aren't we? We're getting ready for next year. And let me take the opportunity to say that I'm grateful for the leadership that we have here. Um, 
the numbers that you got on your bulletin insert came from our finance team. And they worked very hard week in and week out. And we're grateful for that. There's been a lot of excitement here in the last year or so. There's been a lot of excitement because it looks like Jesus is working. I'm grateful for that. I know you're grateful for that. One of the ways Jesus is working is by growing the ministry of the church. We've got new opportunities to do new things. One of the ways that the ministry of the church began growing happened before I got here. You're sitting in it. <laughs> Over the last three years, many of you have made commitments to this building, which is only, we haven't even been using it for more than two years, right? It's not even been two years. And over the course of those three years, a group of uh, folks from the church committed about $90,000 a year. Thanks for being a part of the mission. Next year is the first year we don't have commitments for that, for that cost, which means that the money is going to go into the budget and not in a sort of designated, hey, somebody's covering it. That's one reason the budget's going up by about $30,000, $32,000 a year. The good news is, churches experiencing fruitfulness. The new space has made space for new folks. And so as we grow, our resources grow. Some of you may have gotten a letter from me this week or kind of laying out the building costs. The original building cost just over $900,000. Only about a third of that had to be financed because everything else was raised. Uh, the Lord was exceedingly generous <laughs> in that time. I wasn't here, but you've told me the story. Uh, since then, um, we've had building pledges to cover the cost of the monthly mortgage. Uh, and I've invited folks whose pledges are coming to a close to just say, hey, you know, I've got this money. I've been giving it to the church the last three years, and uh, it's free now. <laughs> if you took half of what you committed this year and gave it next year, it would more than cover the cost that's going into the budget. That may be committed somewhere else, and it won't, won't be able to go into the building, but I wonder if some of us who are kind of new to the new to the church might be moved by God to get on board with that too. Because all of us are benefiting from being a part of the life of the body of Christ in this place. It's exciting to see what Jesus is up to everywhere. As the ministry's grown, the staff has grown. I've been absent, in fact, as I was traveling this week in, in when you travel and you go to preacher meetings and things like that, people ask how it's going. And one of the things I've been able to kind of brag on is to say how amazingly excited I am 
at what you've done in terms of staff development in the last year. Uh, like the church has seen that staff isn't just a cost, it's an investment in the future of the ministry of the church. And it's amazing to me to be able to tell the stories of how you raised $40,000 in a week earlier this year. Everybody remember that? You raised $40,000 in one week to fund a new staff position. Unbelievable. That's the generosity of God. It's something to celebrate. So as the building grows and as the staff grows and as the other ministries of the church grow, the budget's growing. And those are commitments that we're making together. So the invitation is to keep those things in mind as you make your commitment to next year's giving. Again, we're trying to avoid the gimmick thing. We're just trying to shoot straight and have some good communication. We've got budget summaries in the bulletin. If you want to see the whole thing, it's quite a stack of papers, but you can call the office and come by and check it out anytime. We want to be as transparent as we can so you can trust the leaders of your church that the money you put in that basket every week or the online donation that you make, whatever it is, is going to the mission of God to change the world for Jesus' sake. Again, it's been fruitful. The Lord has been good. We have new opportunities to invest in the ministry that Jesus has given us. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.